White Sox fans, and welcome into the Sox on Tap podcast. It's Tony Marchese alongside NWI Steve, and we're getting down to business today, Steve. It's uh, it's the GM meetings. Baseball offseason is underway. How are you feeling tonight, my friend? Hey, yo, Anthony. I am feeling sufficient for a Tuesday. Um, anybody that is an avid Seinfeld watcher like myself knows that Tuesday just simply has no feel. So we're just plugging along here. I'm not a Seinfeld watcher, but uh, well, that's your Tuesday, first Tuesday is definitely the worst day of the week. I can agree with you on that one. There's there's really not much that's good about Tuesday or Wednesday for that matter. We know that the weekend starts on Thursday here. Uh, it's waffle, quite, it's waffle, close to the week. waffle Wednesday. Waffle Wednesday, you're a big waffle guy, huh? Big waffle guy. Oh yeah. Big waffle guy. That's 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 amazing, Steve. We're gonna we're gonna be talking some white socks, not waffles tonight. But uh before we do that, make sure you're following the show at Socks on Tap on X. You follow Steve at NWI Steve, myself at Tony on Tap. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube, hop in the comments. We can't see your comments on X, but we can see them in the YouTube. So that's youtube.com slash on tap sportsnet. We've got a ton of White Sox topics to talk about. Off-season moves are underway. And uh, boy, uh, there's plenty of those. Um, this is going to look a lot different than 2023, Steve. Uh, first off, and we'll, we'll get to these in just a second in, in more depth, but I'm just going to read off some of the roster moves that have already taken place. White Sox have declined the options on Tim Anderson and Liam Hendricks. Uh, Mike Clevenger has opted out of his deal. Uh, we are going to uh, be without one Yasmani Grandal, um, the one-time highest-paid White Sox player in history, is is no longer behind the plate. Uh, Elvis Andrews, his deal has expired, along with uh, Brian Shaw, Jose Arena. They are now free agents, and uh, it looks like Clint Frazier and Trace Thompson outrighted down to Charlotte. There's a lot to get to here, Steve. Uh, let's start with the decisions on Tim Anderson and Liam Hendricks. Uh, which which one do you want to start with? I'll just give you the floor. Uh, pick one and let's talk about them. I mean, I think the most obvious one is Liam Hendricks. Um, I think given the fact that he had to have Tommy John surgery uh, late last season, the likelihood of him pitching in 2024 is not particularly great for the club. So this was something that was talked about quite a bit when he was signed during the winter of 2020, the way the contract was structured such that this fourth and final year was a $15 million guarantee that either would be a lump sum upfront or a million and a half dollars per year spread out over the course of 10 years. And given the fact that he's not, likely to throw a pitch for the White Sox in 2024. I think it makes the most sense in the world for it to space out that payment um, for, you know, one and a half million bucks per year for the next 10 years. I saw there were a lot of people on the X machine kind of taking issue with this. Um, obviously, given some of the off-field things that have taken place with Liam Hendricks over the course of the last six to nine months here. But at the end of the day, it's not like they're just throwing him out into the street. He's still getting his money. And again, the probability of him throwing a pitch for the White Sox or any other team in 2024 is not particularly great. So I don't really understand 
where the angst was coming from with it. And I, I just think that obviously they're looking at it from an accounting standpoint and they believe that it is most advantageous for the organization or for the Reinsdorf Family Trust Fund to space out that $15 million. I mean, I, I can see where some may take exception uh, with this just based on uh, the feeling that uh, Liam Hendricks is not being taken care of from a team standpoint, right? Uh, there's a lot of things that are out there, but as you said, you made a great point. It's not like they're not giving him his money. Uh, this could have been a decision that was made regardless of any of the off the field stuff for different circumstances. Uh, I don't know. Do you think his time here is actually done? Could this potentially just be Liam Hendricks sits out next season, collects his money and maybe strikes another deal with the white Sox. They seem to have worked hand in hand with each other. I don't think that, uh, Liam and, and the White Sox have any bad blood over the termination of the contract, the opt-out, any of that stuff. It doesn't seem like that was the case. Um, is there a possible return? I just very early prediction for Liam Hendricks to the south side. I, I could see it for the 2025 season. To your point, I don't get the sense that there is any bad blood or ill will on either side at this point. I feel like both sides kind of just have the understanding of what the situation is. I think we all realize the competitor and the hashtag TWTW that Liam has, he's going to work his ass off to try to pitch at some point next season. I feel pretty confident in saying that realizing how quickly he came back from rehabilitating from cancer. Um, and, you know, there were a lot of people that didn't think he was going to pitch at all in 2023 and look what happened there. So, He's going to absolutely have the mindset that he's pitching in 2024. Whether that happens in reality, I think remains to be seen. So it wouldn't shock me at all if there is some kind of a restructured deal between the two sides. Um, he does seem to really enjoy being here in the city of Chicago. Now, if he is to miss all of the 2024 season and then start looking into 2025, I think a lot of it's going to depend on where this team is at. That's obviously going to be a focal point of discussions here over the course of the next three to four months. So does that align with where he is at in his career life cycle at that point? That kind of remains to be seen. Yeah. Well said, Steven. Uh, I, I just didn't think that there was any possible way that they were going to pick up that option uh, just based on where he's at with his health. Um, and it just makes too much sense at this point uh, to decline it financially uh, the other one on this list here, uh, the bigger decision, I think, that had to be made was Tim Anderson. Obviously, Tim Anderson, we discussed how horrific his season was on this show, uh, what felt like a night in and night out basis, uh, just had an abysmal year. I'm sure you've got some stats in front of you uh, on just how bad that was, Steve. I know you pour over all the stats, but uh, final year in his contract, Sox decide. We're not gonna we're not gonna pick this up. Um, they've laid out at this point that they are open to having negotiations with Tim Anderson uh, after he explores free agency. I feel like that's just a nice gesture. That's my initial reaction to that. Is that's a nice gesture. Um, we can debate up and down what this uh, free agent shortstop market looks like. Hint hint, it's not good. Uh, but that said, this move to me felt like a 
we are clearing this out. They didn't want to pick him up and try and trade him. They didn't want to uh, leave that door That's open. That's not for him. true. Well, interject then. Why is it not true that they didn't want to pick up that option and then trade him? Well, okay, okay. They didn't want to pick up the option at the $14 million. But if you read White Sox media mouthpiece Boob Nightingale in his column, I think it was from Sunday, they tried to trade him. He he wrote about it very specifically, and there were no takers at that $14 million. This is something I tried explaining this to the person that supposedly um, I share a gene pool with. Jury's still out on that, hashtag unconfirmed. And he couldn't process the idea that a guy coming off of the worst season in baseball would have no trade value at $14 million. Baseball economics exist. Nobody was taking that deal at that price. So if, you know, Bob, you know, for whatever reason gets information, Kenny's obviously not in the loop anymore. So my guess is that probably is coming directly from he who shall remain nameless himself. And again, he wrote about it very specifically that they attempted to move him, but they could not find a taker. So this was the option of last resort, so to speak. So with that said, the way I I sort of was going into this was they didn't want to pick up at 14 and trade him. And and I think you gave a lot of good context as to why I didn't read that from uh, Mr. Nightingale's column, but it seems like they're betting that he is not going to get anything in free agency. There's been so much talk within the White Sox community on the social media platforms that this was a dumb move. And I mean, everything you said right there just further cements into my head that it was the right move to part ways with Tim Anderson, because who knows what he's going to sign for. Do you see him getting a deal over one year at 14 million at the, at this point, if no one was willing to make a, a trade for him? I personally don't. And what I've kind of heard through the grapevine is that the organization would have interest in bringing him back, but not to play shortstop given the problems that they have at the keystone position that they've had for well over a decade. I've written about this too many times there is some thought that when he goes out into the market, that there could be the possibility for a reunion for him to play second base. And if you look at his Instagram post that he made, he starts by saying, if my time on the South side ends, if my time ends, I know you feel as, as though there was that was kind of a cursory gesture uh, on the team's part, but I think the fact that he put that out there, he's a guy that, you know, wears his emotions on his sleeve, as we all know. I personally believe that if there was no chance of a reconciliation or a reunion in any capacity, I don't think that word if comes into play. I, I was going to get to this one too as well, Steve, and I sort of felt the same way when I saw the the if. I, it just felt to me more like the organization was ready to move on and try and find 
upgrades here, not maybe not even upgrades, just a different path forward. I don't, but this leads me to believe that they're going to be active in the shortstop market in some capacity, whether that be a free agent stopgap that comes here specifically to play shortstop, not named Tim Anderson, unless that's a last resort. Uh, I know you, you've talked about the rumblings for second base. There was also some Getz comments that we're going to get to later about Yoan Moncada in second base. This right now is is such a roster in flux that we have no idea what this is going to look like come opening day. So the fact that it's still a door open to me is is okay, but it's it's going to be an awkward transition, don't you think, for Tim Anderson to come back and play second base for the Chicago White Sox because that would mean he'd be swallowing quite a bit of pride in my opinion to uh, come back and not be the shortstop and maybe not your leadoff guy next season. Um, There's a lot at play here, but I don't think that Tim Anderson has the same bargaining power that he did when he was the staple at, at, in the leadoff spot and at shortstop anytime uh, six days a week before he needed Sunday off. You're right in that assessment, and that was one of the things that I wrote about today at a lovely website you might be familiar with called ontapsportsnet.com. If you go and if you look at Tim's numbers since he came off of the IL June 20th of last year from the groin injury, and then there is the wrist issue and, and everything else that has taken place since then, he's been the worst offensive player in the sport. That coupled with the defensive miscues that have unfortunately been a little bit more prevalent, I would say in the last year and a half, that hasn't helped his value from that standpoint. So there may just have to be some self-reflection and some understanding that the days of being that shortstop, manning that position, I don't know if too many teams that are willing to entrust that responsibility to him at this point, given the struggles that we have seen since June of last year. So it could just come down to a scenario where you've got a choice to make. Do you want to hold out thinking that somebody is going to let you play shortstop or do you want to be realistic and sign on with the team? I remember last winter, there were a lot of people that were saying that, Elvis Andrus um, was going to get a starting shortstop job somewhere based off of the final two months he had when he came over to the Sox. How did that play out? He wound up uh, signing pretty late. And what position did he sign to play? Second base. Okay. So there is precedent for it. I think that's something that we just have to be mindful of. Again, there's a case to be made that this relationship just needs to be completely dissolved and that both sides need to kind of go their separate ways and have a fresh start. You can make that, that case right there. I'm in Um, that camp. I'm in that camp. You know, I, I think it goes both ways. Personally, I'm of the mindset that however this plays out, I don't think it really has that much of an impact on the long-term trajectory of the White Sox next fluke winning season in 2027, because I don't think Tim Anderson will be around by that anyway. Uh, the, the, the goalposts, 
of the fluke season continue to move back as as things get more and more tumultuous within the uh, the White Sox organization, Stephen. But I'm I'm of the mindset that it, it's probably time to move on, just given the things that uh, took place over the past couple of seasons. Unable to put it together. We'll talk about Chris Gutt's comments again towards the back half of the show. I I just I don't see a world where they reunite um and things go as well as as we would hope but um, i'll give you one one precedent for that sure 2020 after that season the white Sox non-tender carlos Rodon. yeah and i remember a lot of people were unhappy about that and carlos Rodon had an offer to stay in chicago but not with the white Sox. And then all of a sudden, the two sides found themselves back together again. And Carlos Rodon had himself a tremendous year in 2021. Uh, little injury plagued there towards the end of the season, but he was able to parlay that then into a pretty nice, lucrative one-year deal with the San Francisco Giants. Build off of that and was able to get himself a multi-year deal. So there is a little bit of precedent for it. Is that entirely a probability? Who knows at this point? They're, they're, I feel like there's a lot of layers to this Tim Anderson saga that, unfortunately, only the people in the organization really truly know. Um, and is it possible maybe that with changes to the front office, to the coaching staff, and to the roster on a whole that we're expecting to see this winner, that could that factor into – how this plays out going forward? Sure. So ultimately, only time will tell. And uh, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. We'll keep uh, we'll keep this discussion open throughout the off season as as the Tim Anderson free agency uh, tour embarks. I'm I'm interested to see the reports on uh, it comes out who's interested in him, and I'm sure we'll get more of that closer towards the winter meetings than the GM meetings. A um, couple other notes, as we mentioned earlier, uh, Mike Clevenger, no longer a member of the Chicago White Sox. He opted out. Steven, you told me the other day you were not surprised by this at all. Um, I was a little shocked. I thought that uh, you know maybe he would uh, come on back. I thought that he enjoyed his time here. He pitched well here. I, I, he's another guy that I'm curious to see if there's another reunion between these two teams. I know a lot of people want him out of Chicago for the off the field stuff. Um, we've got two starters right now on this roster. And one of them is maybe half a starter. And that's Michael Kopech because he cannot go uh, the distance, so to speak, um, and seems to be injured all the time. Clevenger did have a couple injury issues. Um, and then it sounds like from some rumors that were happening today, the White Sox are potentially maybe going to move. Uh, Dylan Cease. So that would leave you really with Michael Kopech in your starting rotation. Um, Tuki Toussaint exists. Tuki Toussaint does exist, but I don't know if that's the name that everybody wants to be riding into 2024 with. Um, I digress, but are you at all got any feelings on the Clevenger opt-out? No, I'm just really not surprised by it. I think, you know, when you look at the state of the starting pitching market out there, there was some belief, and I was kind of questioning this uh, when the waiver deadline came about, the fact that no team 
made the acquisition for him when all it was going to cost was money at the waiver deadline. And it always thought, intrigues me when, when, when we hear this from a couple of people within our own group, $5 million is a lot to pay for two or three months of, of Mike Clevenger. And then the same voices will echo. Well, I love what the Texas Rangers did and going out and spending all this money. It's like, why, why didn't teams jump out for his services? It's, five million dollars in, in a world where you know what what is Shohei Otani gonna get I'm I'm also kind of shocked that nobody went for the the five million dollars for a couple of months I think that there just simply are teams that didn't want to deal with you know the the baggage from from Clevenger I mean you got to remember this isn't just a winner of 2022-2023 thing there were transgressions that took place during his time in Cleveland um so it's kind of a multitude of different factors that I'm sure that there were teams out there that were just saying they didn't want to deal with the the headache from it and there also could have been some teams that in their purview were financially tapped out that adding that additional $5 million wasn't something that their ownership groups were willing to take on. I mean, you look at um, these reports that have come out in the last couple of days here about the San Diego Padres having to take out a $50 million loan to cover payroll and some of their expenses. Um, you hate to a, see that. You well, hate to see it. You know, you know, that's something that I, I think has been underreported a little bit. That's really a function of, Valley Sports Network going under uh, on the local TV contract side of it. And that had serious ramifications for it right there. So, um, and there are a number of teams that were in, you know, playoff contention that were kind of in that same boat that were part of that Valley Network that, you know, that cash shortfall was probably prohibitive of them going out and taking on $5 million for a guy like Mike Clevenger. Yeah, that's that's fair enough, but we'll never know really the the intricacies of everything that went into um, why we were covering payroll out there in San Diego with some with some loans. I'm I'm sure that the Bailey stuff really played a huge part into it. Thankfully, that didn't disrupt any of the uh, the markets in Chicago and baseball watching. I know that there was issues. What is it in Arizona as well, Steve? Um, a couple other teams that were out there that. Um, we're all utilizing Bally as their, uh, their RSN. So um, that'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. I know we're on the uh, precipice of an expiring TV deal as well here in Chicago, Steve. That'll be interesting to figure out what happens as that all plays into. And I'm sure given the, the current, the reload, yeah. given the current state of the team, I'm sure that's really just going to make the, uh, the asking price just go up even higher. Yes, astronomically. Um, the other names that I had mentioned earlier, Steve, what I'm going to miss, and I hope he's back next season, Brian Shaw, that man did his fucking job all damn year. He was probably one of my favorite players to watch on the White Sox as things were winding down. I know our guy Sox and Sane's in here as well. Just want to get to a couple of YouTube comments. He says, uh, hashtag build around Tukey. Um, and uh, yes, uh, I know that he commented earlier one month of Mike Clevenger. Uh, Sox and Sane, Besnick, you are not the only one who's been saying those things that was not directed at you. There's, there's plenty of voices out there 
um, also echoing those statements. But uh, I'm going to miss Brian Shaw a lot. Um, I hope he's back. I hope he is closing ball games or doing something out of the White Sox bullpen just for the pure fact that he is a workhorse. He's Shaw. He's there every day. Uh, I liked his attitude, Stephen. I, I was I was impressed. In fact, I hope he gets an A plus on our guy Sox and Saints player reviews uh, for this season because there is nothing short of one hundred percent blood, sweat, and tears that Shaw gave the Chicago White Sox this season. We talk about all the time that availability is perhaps the most important ability. Brian Shaw was always available. We know that. Every day. And, and Just did his job. For a team that's going to have to cover a lot of innings next year, a guy like Brian Shaw that has a rubber arm that can take the ball, uh, there is utility in that. The quality of his pitching at, at this point is um, open to interpretation. But for a team that admittedly is on the high end going to win 67 games, probably that's their ceiling. You I getting mean, into your predictions that you were leaking to me the other day? Because uh, No, I don't. I'm just saying that's the, that's the ceiling right there if everything breaks perfect. Um, you got a lot of innings you're going to have to cover there. So a guy like Brian Shaw would be useful in that scenario. Absolutely would. Absolutely would. Loved what he gave the White Sox this season. Hey, and if it's if it's going to be bad, at least give me guys that are out there willing to gut it out. I mean, he reminded me of a guy that we just pulled out of the bleachers, threw out there on the mound, and just went out there and every single day, like I said, was doing his job. My favorite moment, if it's if it's the end of the Brian Shaw era, was his interview in the clubhouse after one of the games, and he could not name a single member on the White Sox roster and was referring to people by the positions that they played. Um, and that was just pure gold. Uh, we need, we need laughs around here. I, I love, I love laughing at, at the, at the craziness because it's easier than, than crying and, and being sad and drinking misery beer statement. It just is. You get to this point. All you can really do is laugh at yourself. Yeah. I mean, and, and and Shaw, not that he, I laugh at at Shaw. He he went out there and 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 competed, um, but I wanted to I want to see him just like rack up like his one thousandth appearance in, in a what like in a White Sox just some weird accolade that he'll eventually get. I think it'd be cool if he did it in a White Sox uniform. He he he's a Southsider through and through. Um, goodbye, Yasmani Grandal. Goodbye. Uh, I was talking with our guy, Johnny Steve, the other day, and uh, he, he had some choice words for Yasmani Grandal after this. And I, I sort of questioned him, and I'm going to question you the same way. Uh, he was a big Yasmani Grandal guy. And uh, there were some things that Yasmani Grandal did in his last year in Chicago that really rubbed our boy Johnny the wrong way. Not a big Grandal guy anymore. In fact, I think the words were, I'm disgusted I was a fan of him. Not anymore. Uh, Good riddance. How are you feeling about Yasmani Grandal? And uh, where are you at with uh, the whole Yasmani Grandal experience? I think I share a lot of Jonathan's sentiments, particularly given how this thing ended. The commentary and the stories that have come out of the clubhouse at this point, um, the talk of, you know, 
him getting into an altercation with Tim leading into the all-star break because he wanted to go home and start his vacation early. Like, get the fuck out of here with that. That's, that's fucking nonsense. So the talk about leadership and all that really goes out the window when you hear some of these reports and if they are indeed factual, that's just, um, that's a real blemish on his career. And for a guy that has said that he wants to continue playing, he's going to have a lot of explaining to do to teams here this winter. Um, because that's a guy that now you have to really question from a culture standpoint in the clubhouse. How is there's he nothing fit? wrong with the culture here? There's nothing wrong with the culture here, Steven. No, nothing no, wrong in the clubhouse. No, no not at all. Nothing no. at all. And you know what? Lucas Giolito went into some of that. And I think it's a perfect time to sort of segue into that. Did you see the Lucas Giolito comments on the White Sox clubhouse stuff? Yeah, I get the sense that Lucas is not the type of guy to air dirty laundry in public. Um, it's very obvious and, and very apparent that something changed within this core group. Uh, this is one of the things I wrote about in, in my Tim Anderson piece, and I know I've talked about it quite a bit. Um, the vibe with this team was just so different in 2021. They seemed like they genuinely enjoyed being around each other. They were having fun. You had guys like Brian Goodwin and Billy Hamilton laughing and jacking around in the in the dugout, keeping keeping guys like Tim and everybody else loose. And that just changed. And you, I could see it right away during spring training of 2022. And you all told me I was fucking crazy when I said something was wrong. You all said I was nuts. But I could see it right there. I think the I think the word you're looking for here is is denial. Um, I mean, I, I'll admit it. I, why would I want to ride into the 2022 season? It's not about believing wanting, that, though. No, I know, but it, obviously, everybody believed that we were going to take the next step in 2022 at the conclusion of the 2021 season, if you were there at that, you know, the, the blackout game or whatever you want to call it, first game against Houston, um, it was a magical night. And there was, I, I think outside of the field of dreams game, which you and I were at, there wasn't a better moment within the rebuild, unless you traveled to Cleveland like yourself to watch them, you know, win the division. And, and even there fucking franchise, even there, I was, I don't know, I, I felt the celebration was subdued. Um, it was a lot of, you know, all business. And then the business just didn't work out. And speaking of, I think this is the appropriate time to announce that, you know, we're, we're going to take an in-depth look at where the rebuild went. Um, and we've got some things. I know we teased this, but we've got some things in the works that uh, Stephen and I are going to be taking a closer look at uh, this White Sox rebuild. But even, even through that that division win, there wasn't many high points here to talk about. 
I thought that that was just, and maybe I misread it. I thought that that was just the stepping stones to going somewhere. When you come back from spring training and talk to me about the vibe is off with the team, it's hard for me to believe that until we really get into the nitty gritty of what's your record after 60 games and things weren't looking great. Things were not looking great and it spiraled out from there. Well, I think if you look at that winter between 2021 and 2022, that's again, when finishing pieces needed to be added. Um, It was very obvious that Cesar Hernandez was not coming back. They needed to address second base. They needed to address right field. They did none of those things. That was the point where you should have been going out and you should have been finalizing and locking down this roster and trying to insulate yourself with depth. Well, I think it comes back to foundational pieces like Yasmani Grandal as well. Was that enough? Was that enough to build the foundation on? And it it just clearly wasn't. Uh, Steve, for the sake of time, we're going to move along to uh, some coaching staff announcements that were made today. Uh, Coaching staff finalized. Um, We've got some some members joining this coaching staff. Going to look a little bit different than last year. Uh, Matt Wise, named assistant pitching coach. He's coming over from the Angels along with Marcus Timms. I know Johnny is going to absolutely love two uh, former Angels coaching staff members here. I talked to him the other day, and uh, he said, fold the White Sox. That's what he told me to tell everybody because he's a big fold the Angels guy. Oh, there's more than two angel former Angels coaches coming. Oh, we got more? Yeah, Drew Butera. Oh, yes, you're right. He's he's down my list. He's down my list. Uh, Jason Bourgeois or Burgess. I don't even know how to pronounce this guy. Bourgeois. Bourgeois. I got it right the first time. Uh, he had three plate appearances for the White Sox at some point in his career. Uh, he's going to be your new first base coach, replacing Daryl Boston as well as your outfield coach, uh, Drew Butera, as you mentioned, uh, he's going to be your catching coach. I believe he has some former bullpen coaching experience. Uh, and then uh, your favorite guy, the new addition, Grady Sizemore, is coming to town. I know how you feel about AL Central guys. Uh, Ethan Katz, Grafol, obviously remaining with the team. Uh, Steve, any thoughts on on coaching staff? It looks like uh, Chris Getz is, is – shook up the uh the coaching staff roster as well as as you know our 40 man right now uh do you think this coaching staff does it give you any hope uh of being better than than what we had last season well my initial thoughts are you have a former cleveland indian in grady size where you have a former twin in drew butera you have a former tiger in uh marcus Timms. you have the obvious royals connections here i fucking i hate it all i'm in hell I'm in absolute hell right now. Um, on a serious note, I think it's fascinating that they have chosen to bring in guys that have relative recent playing experience on the coaching staff. So, um, and, and some guys that have been in a variety of different roles with outside organizations. Obviously, Jonathan, not real happy about the Angels' <laughs> connections there. Um, you know, Marcus Timms is a guy that was a hitting coach with the Yankees, uh, went to the Marlins, and then the Angels themselves. So 
bounced around. Are we going to make it through? Are we going to make it through spring training without Johnny wanting both of those guys fired or all no three chance. of them? No chance. Okay. No chance. By by my birthday, he will be openly campaigning for the, for their um, dismissal jobs to be gone. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. No question about that. Um, so I, I think that is you know kind of fascinating here that they are bringing in some some fresh blood. Um, I'm kind of of the mindset at, at this point that, look, I was excited a year ago when the guy, when the Sox brought in, um, Jose Castro from my barves. And we've seen this a number of times in, in recent years of bringing guys from outside organizations, organizations that have pedigree of success, they get here and things don't work. So I'm of the mindset of I need it to be proven at this point. Um, things sound great on paper. Let's see it in practice. Um, I'll share one personal anecdote um, from my Grady Sizemore experience. Summer of 2009, me and some of my high school buddies, we were at a ball game in uh, late June on a glorious evening when Paul Canerco, who um, has more World Series home runs and World Series championships than Carlos Lee. I don't know if our viewers know that. Um, on this glorious evening, Paulie hit three home runs in a game. And me and my buddies were sitting out in center field. And um, one of my friends happened to get on the old Google machine, do a little bit of research, find out Grady's mother's first name, to which, uh, you know, some things were being said for four or five different innings as beverages were being consumed. Um, you know, when you're in your youth, in your mid-20s, you, you maybe get a little rambunctious. It happens a little bit. Grady didn't really seem to care for it very much. And as the Sox were up, I think it was like 14 to 3 at one point. He hit a home run in the top half of the eighth inning, and he decided he wanted to strut back out to center field um, and get all puffy-chested with us. And uh, we told him that we would take a picture of the scoreboard and send it to Donna, his mother, just for you know memory's sake. And again, he didn't really like that very much. So we're wondering, maybe, will Donna Sizemore be in attendance a little more this summer? Well... You're just going to have to wait to find out. You never know. Um, I'm sure he's remembering this this same thing as he's coming back to the south side of Chicago now, not in as an opponent, but as a coach of the Chicago White Sox. Just a name that I never expected to be on our coaching staff. Like, never would I expect. We've got enough, you know, we've got enough former Indians infesting this organization right now. I, I just. This makes, is how we do things. Makes in me Cleveland. fucking sick. Makes me fucking sick couple other notes as we uh, move on here. Colson Montgomery, I know we all love prospects here, was named the AFL All-Star Game MVP. Seemed to have himself quite the fall down there in Arizona, Stephen. Um, I think a lot of people are clamoring for him to potentially make this roster out of camp. A little temper expectations. Uh, just because you're a fall league MVP type guy, Pretty sure we've had a couple of those in the past as well. I don't know if you can recall some names for me. Adam Engel. Adam Engel was the AFL MVP. Not not the All-Star All MVP, MVP, but the actual league itself. Um, I am of the mindset that, honestly, I think it wouldn't shock me if Colson Montgomery spends the first month of 2022 in Birmingham. Honestly, um, it, 
you know, from my perspective, I think given the time that he missed last season due to injury, it would almost make sense for him to start the season in double A Birmingham, get that first month under his belt. And then, you know, second week of May, he goes up to Charlotte, goes into that little sandbox there, has a good two and a half months. And then come late July, maybe then you see him at the corner of 35th and Shields. I think the idea of rushing him at this point does not make sense. This team is not winning anything in 2024, as we have talked about here previously. Let him develop. Don't rush this. There is no point to this. The the two months that he missed during the 2023 season and those plate appearances down in Birmingham, I think that that matters. And so I think allowing him to recoup some of that time before he gets thrust into this environment here because he is going to unfortunately get the Yoan Mankata treatment from a lot of people. There are a lot of people that are watching the highlights, seeing things and having all these thoughts going through their heads that this is going to be the guy. This is going to be the prospect that works his way through the entire system and and he's going to be the one. I think if we learned anything from this past experience, let him come up and prove it. And that's kind of where I'm at. Well said. Uh, the only other news note topic that I have is, uh, you know, came out from uh, Bob Nightingale report, White Sox, and we sort of touched on this earlier, so I'll sort of breeze through this one. I'll give you a quick minute to throw your comments on it. Uh, White Sox potentially entertaining trade offers for Dylan Cease. Thoughts and uh, what would you do if you were Chris Getz in this uh, scenario? I mean, in other news, water is wet. Um, look, we all know that Dylan Cease is not long to be wearing a Chicago White Sox uniform. As long as Scott Boris is his agent. The idea of him being here past the 2025 season, it's just not there. We all know this. We all understand this. I think there are two unique schools of thought to the situation and how it should be handled. You know, on one hand, you have people that are of the mindset, just move him this winter right now, get on the phone with a team like Baltimore or a team like Arizona, somebody else that has, you know, a very stocked farm system and, and make that move and get it done. I understand that aspect of it, but then there's the other side of this equation where Dylan Cease didn't have as strong of a 2023 season as we were all hoping. So that value has decreased. So now Chris Getz is in a position where his first real tough choice that he is going to make is he's going to have to examine the risk calculus of, do I just move Dylan Cease right now because he is a starting pitcher? Starting pitchers break. Arms are fragile. You you never know what's going to happen with that. Do I just move him now? Or do I bring him back, let him have some time working with the likes of Brian Bannister on, on the pitching development side to see if there are some tweaks that can be made to help try to extract some of that additional value that was lost due to his inconsistent season in 2023. I can see both sides 
of this argument here. So in my opinion, that's going to be the first real test for Chris Getz here as White Sox general manager. I agree with that. I agree with that. And I, I do have a couple of, of counterpoints to it. I think part of his value is in availability. Uh, I believe he did have the most starts in the AL 33 last season. Um, pitching is a need for every team in major league baseball. Uh, you've got a guy coming off of three consecutive seasons with 200 strikeouts. Uh, he might not be an ace on every team, uh, but I think his services will be in demand. Do I think he's going to fetch you holiday? Absolutely not. That's not going to happen. I think White Sox fans got a little bit. It's the right word I'm looking for here. Uh, overvaluing. Overvalue. Well, every team overvalues. That's the appropriate word. Start to overvalue Dylan Cease from a, a national perspective. Um, he's not Chris Sale. He's not, and, and even in that trade, we can go back and look, and we will. Did he even get? Did, did Rick Hahn get fair value for Chris Sale? I think we could sit here right now. And the easy answer to me is probably not. But moving Dylan Cease is going to be a defining moment in the Chris Getz era. No matter how it comes down, uh, I, I don't think that there's a reason to sit on him and let the possibility of it turning into another Tim Anderson, you're just walking uh, out the door here is, is the appropriate answer to this, especially given the state of the roster. This is going to be one of the key pieces. I think that this has to come this off season at the very latest, this trade deadline in order to extract the most value out of Dylan Cease. If you wait past then, I mean, you're talking about a guy that's now a one-year rental, um, potentially a couple-month rental if you wait until next trade deadline to move him. And I think that that's far too long, Steve. I don't know about you. Yeah, I can't envision a scenario where Dylan Cease is throwing a pitch for the Chicago White Sox in 2025. Um, I think the last pitch he would ever throw at the latest would be July of 2024. So I don't think that come August, he will be wearing a White Sox uniform. Um, it could certainly come sooner than that. Could come at the winter meetings. Who knows? Uh, there's talk. I think I saw some stuff from Ken Rosenthal here earlier tonight that the early word out of the GM meetings is that the trade market is apparently going to be a lot more active than the free agent market, given how poor this class is. And so there's a heightened sense of, need on the trade front and that could be good for a team this is not a rebuild but we're gonna entertain offers on everybody just more of next white Sox messaging for everybody to here's here's but see look here's what that whole quote anybody who's really paying attention knows that this is a rebuild the length of time that it takes is the thing that is ultimately going to define it you look at the last one was a three-year process. Um, there's not a whole lot to tear down here right now, if we're being honest with ourselves. And I think that um, he who shall remain nameless because of how much he cares about optics 
from the national media. He doesn't care about it from the fans. He cares about it, what is written about him nationally. Um, he doesn't want to put that out there because we just came out of one and we have two playoff ones to show from it. So, yeah. Dougly. Dougly. Steve, we're getting close to wrapping it up here. We're going to spend the last 10-ish minutes of the show talking about Chris Getz at the GM meetings, uh, as you just referenced. A couple of interesting quotes. Uh, we had a Pedro Grafol Zoom today, just some wild, wild stuff. Um, I'll let you sort of take the floor here. Uh, I know you've got the some quotes prepared uh, from our new GM. Um, as he's getting down to business down there at the GM meetings, go, go ahead and take it away. Well, the biggest overarching point that kind of came from Chris gets here today is something that has been talked about. You know, Josh Barfield was talking about this a week ago, and this seems to be kind of an organizational edict right now is the emphasis and the focus on improving defense going into 2024, which justifiably needs to happen. We've all seen how terrible this team has been fundamentally and how bad they were on the defensive side of things. So that has to be addressed. Uh, Getz's direct quote was, that's going to be a large focus for us this offseason. I want this to be an attractive place where pitchers want to pitch. We'll sell out to do that. He followed up, and this is the quote that got the most traction and I've got some personal commentary I would like to provide on this one. When I say I don't like our team, we've got pieces that are talented and attractive. They can be part of a winning club, but obviously we haven't gone out there and performed. It's not a well-rounded club right now. I saw a lot of loud mouth breathers on twitter.com one particular fat boy that um you know is very annoying um just gushing almost orgasming over this quote because oh he he finally said what everybody what everybody was thinking with within this fan base um i look at this quote and the reaction to it from the people that hated rick han this is akin to a year ago, when Mr. Clean was making his first media rounds, saying things that to some people sounded great in practice, just because he wasn't Sleepy McDickface, there was a segment of the fan base that loved it. And this is the same thing that because Chris Getz isn't lawyer boy, there's a segment of the fan base that is going to love these quotes. To me, it all rings hollow. None of it means anything. Right now, what follows from this is what will be important. To me, these are just quotes. That's all they really are to me. Um, if people want to be excited about them, great. But I'm very much of the mindset that my trust has to be earned at this point. So I will wait and see what follows from this. You're not wrong about the Pedro Gafrol media tour. Um, been and burned, we saw how that worked out. Been burned so many times in recent history that it's really easy 
for Sox fans to hear something and, and take it in polar opposite directions. There's always going to be a camp here that says, I'm not going to believe it until the results are there, which I believe you're firmly in. I sort of find myself in that camp as well, just because of the nature of, of what has transpired. It's been bad. It's been terrible. It's borderline disgusting to have gone through everything this organization went through from 2016 to where we are today and not have at least reached an ALCS with the, the core group of, of players that were assembled. Um, and that's sort of where I go with his comments on we've got attractive pieces. Obviously they do. I mean, if you think back to the trade deadline last season, the mantra that at least was prevalent in what I was hearing through MLB Network, National Beat Writers, was everybody wants the White Sox players, but why can't they perform together? Something was wrong. We discussed Tim Anderson. You go back and forth to all these other things. Then there's the opposite side to this, which I know exactly who you're referring to. Um, we'll take a look at this quote and say, it's not Rick Hahn. It's somebody else who's got to di- I I saw the memes. You know, he gets us. I saw the. Which um, that, that was, that was pretty good. I mean, that was, that was, that was good. A plus we can, we can give a nice little clap for that one on the show. Um, I saw the, you know, Chris Getz, White Sox fans, handshake. We all hate this team. Pedro Grafol fucking doubled down on it and, and talked about how he didn't like the team either. And my first thought, Steve, I go back to this. This isn't a new regime that everybody thinks it is. Where is the same energy? from people thinking, well, wait, Pedro Grafol had a, a hand in this problem last season and some broken promises. And really the guy who's your GM that everybody's clamoring over right now is the same motherfucker that was in charge of the farm system that brought up the last rebuild. So now because he, what he admitted to today was that he doesn't like the results of his work. And I find it comical that people think, oh my God, he doesn't like the team. Well, guess what? A bunch of those guys who were on the field not performing, causing this issue that cost the the previous front office their jobs, is the guy who's sitting there going, I don't like this team. I'm going to blow it up. Where does that happen anywhere else? Please tell me, where does that happen anywhere else in professional sports where the guy who's partially responsible for things being broken, fundamentals, all the, we need to get better at deep. Why wasn't it being taught like that? Why was that not a question from any of the beat writers who were there? Because my first question would have been, if you don't like the way this team is playing fundamentally, is there a reason that these fundamentals weren't instructed and drilled into these players heads at the minor league level so that when they came up to play for the big league club that these were not problems so now we've got to clean the slate of all the wrongdoings of someone who's now in charge of 
the the thing at, at the organization at a mass scale. It doesn't make sense to me. I, I don't understand how the the change in the air around this place that we call the White Sox Twitter community. I saw a lot of people call this refreshing. I saw because it, because of, it wasn't lawyer speak. Okay, so we dumbed it down now a little bit, and now that message works. I, I, I don't understand it. I don't understand how all of a sudden he can walk in with a different pair of sunglasses that Kenny Williams wore and sit in front of the media and say, I don't like this. This is bad. We're going to change it. We're different. It, it's still the same. It, it still reeks of the same problem to me. It's the Spider-Man meme. Yes, that's a great way to put it. I mean, you know, or or it's the the meme of of the guy, you know, up close flexing, and then they just, you know, he takes another one where he's like ten feet away, but it's the same guy. We just moved further back to change the visual. That's all we're doing here. Um. I, I don't get it myself, but it, but again, because there is this very vocal segment of the fan base that didn't like Lawyer Boy um, because he's not the one delivering the message anymore, they are willing to basically just ignore the fact that the word salad that is being thrown out is kind of basically the same. But, you know, narratives. It's in a new, easy, digestible format. Yeah. <sighs> and round and round we go. Um, you got anything else, Gets comment-wise? Oh, I do. Yohan Moncada, second base. Um, I believe there was a comment about how Yohan Moncada came up through the organization, played second base, and there may be days he's at second base next season. I'm not entirely sure if Yohan Mankata will be on this roster. And I've got a, a it's just my feeling. I know it's been floated out there. The feeling he might be shipped off in exchange for some interesting catching. He's not going to be the third baseman going to Kansas City. You don't think so? No. Why not? Salary dump. They need to exchange salaries. Um, Because... I feel like Kansas City. Would Please say, don't tell me he's not the third baseman, and it's going to be somebody in our minor league system. You know exactly where I'm going with this. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, you know, the idea of Jerry Reinsdorf taking on an additional, you know, twenty some million dollars, and I mean, I just I don't think that the Royals. I I find it hard to believe that that would be a contract for contract swipe. Um, I just don't see it. I could very much see the Royals saying, okay, we'll take the double-A prospect that's in the Arizona Fall League hitting some long home runs. We'll pay down the debt a little bit, but you send us that guy instead. I can see it. Pedro might not get his wish, if, if well, at least if I was in that position, but we already know um, how these – negotiations have worked in the past. I don't know. I thought I thought maybe there's a chance you could offload him. Might lessen this thing. Who knows? Yeah, I, I don't see it personally. Well, 
we'll have to get there. But I, I was intrigued at least by the comments that Yohan Mankata, who I was told numerous times cannot play second base. But see, Anthony, you're missing a very important part of the quote where Getz specifically says, we like him better as a third baseman. That's a massaged way of saying he kind of stinks defensively at second. It also sounds to me like they don't have a plan for second base at the moment. Well, geez. Um, <laughs> I, I, for one, what did the last tenure have? <laughs> hold on. Let me, let me remove my shade so you can see the shock in my eyes. Yeah. Well, here we are. Steve, that's about all the time we have for today. Thanks for everybody who hopped in the YouTube. Uh, threw some comments out there. We appreciate you guys tuning in. You can follow the show at Socks on Tap on X. Follow Steve at NWI underscore Steve. Myself at Tony on Tap. We just crossed an important milestone here at On Tap Sportsnet, Stephen. 1,000 YouTube subscribers. So thank you to everybody who tunes into the show um, on the YouTube platform. We really appreciate it. Um, keep doing that. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell everybody that you know. Hit that Call your button. sons, call your daughters, call your friends, call your neighbors. Yes, all of that. Yeah. Subscribe to the YouTube here at ONTAP Sportsnet. We might need to get you to record that for a promo, Steve. That'd be great. Um, that's all the time we have for today. Steve, any final thoughts before we close this down? Um, final thoughts are... You know, it's been uh, – tomorrow will be seven days without baseball. You know what they say, seven days without baseball makes one week. Which form of week you want to use, which spelling, it's open to interpretation. But um, we set the clocks back. Darkness is upon us. Winter Steve is here. It's not a great time to be. It would be nice if this organization would do something positive to lift our spirits. Maybe you'll get a Christmas wish if you're good. I feel like I'm probably just going to have to do a Festivus airing of grievances. We will have that for sure. We will have that for sure coming up. Lots of off-season content coming your way from Sox on Tap. Steve, it's always a pleasure talking about White Sox baseball with you. Close it down how we always do. White Sox forever. White Sox for life.